the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast with your host, Brian Briscoe. In this podcast, we bring some of the top professionals in the apartment investing field to discuss various aspects of the apartment investing journey with the sole purpose of educating listeners to make wise investment decisions. The Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast is sponsored by Four Oaks Capital, bringing you high yield returns through apartment complex investing. This is journal entry number 112 and part of our multifamily brief series. Today, I'm going to talk about risk in your underwriting. I recently had a potential investor ask me the question, how do I vet different operators and how do I compare the underwriting between different operators? As I pointed out many times before, everyone says that they underwrite conservatively. Now, I liken this to a recent study that found that 76% of all drivers in the U.S. say that they are above average drivers. Even though there's numerous methods to define exactly what is above average, the fact is there generally is not going to be more than 50% of the population that are above average in any one field. Now, that same study went a little further and pointed out that most of the 76% of these above average drivers also admitted to driving behavior that is considered to be high risk, like checking their texts while driving, speeding, or excessive lane changes. Now, what does this tell us? It says that we generally overestimate our own skill level when compared with others, and we're also likely to rationalize those little moments when we stray outside the lines with statements like, well, I don't do it that often, or I only check my texts when there's not a lot of traffic. So how does this relate to conservative underwriting? Simple. Like driving, most operators overestimate their ability to underwrite conservatively. They may truly know how to underwrite conservatively, And maybe they've done so in the past, but the same operators will metaphorically check their phone to see the latest text message while they're behind the wheel. Now, at Four Oaks Capital, we've looked at hundreds of offering memoranda in the last few months. We've even seen deals that we've passed on sent to us by other groups as investment opportunities. Of course, when we do, we check out their underwriting to see exactly how they were able to make the numbers work when we couldn't. Maybe they saw something that we missed. Usually, the other operators have been aggressive in areas where we were more conservative. In one recent case, the syndication group purchased a property at close to 20% higher than our maximum offer price and 25% higher per unit than one of our recent acquisitions in the same city. Both were C-class, both were value-add, and both needed a similar amount of work to bring it up to full market value. Now, admittedly, we have gone... almost three months without a deal under contract, which is probably the longest period since our company's formation. So we started to ask the question, you know, are we too conservative on our underwriting? So I put a lot of thought and effort into the subject and had made some conclusions on the risks involved with the various parts of underwriting. I've also consulted a couple of graduate level textbooks in real estate and real estate finance that sit on my shelf to make sure that I am not completely off base. So here are my thoughts on the subject. When you analyze a property, you are going to create a pro forma or projected income and expense statement. Of course, you will also gather data on the current market and property and look at the historical returns, historical rents in the area. But in essence, you are essentially making assumptions on what the future will look like. You are basically peering into your own personal crystal ball to determine what the future cash flows and valuations will be to determine the total returns to investors. For example, analyzing a property in 2019, one would have assumed that 2020 would have been a banner year with wonderful collections and great year-over-year rent growth. Now, it did happen in some areas, but in others, there were issues. There are always unforeseen events that we will not be able to account for 
and that brings a certain amount of risk into every investment opportunity. Now, when looking at the returns on a performa or your projection, I'm going to lump things into two different categories. The things that you can control as an operator and the things that are outside that you cannot control. Now, the things that you can control include certain operating expenses, potentially occupancy rates, and renovations. For example, if a property is currently $100 behind the market average for properties of its class and condition, an operator can indeed control a moderate rent bump on all new leases. Likewise, if a property needs repairs and upgrades to bring it up to the level of the local market, an operator can indeed perform those repairs and upgrades and with relative certainty bring the rents up to the local market average. Similarly with vacancy rates, whether it's physical vacancy or economical vacancy, if units lie vacant due to operational inefficiencies or poor management, a skilled operator can bring the occupancy rates and collections up with reasonable certainty. Now, let's look at the other side of the coin, the things that you cannot control. These are things that are dependent on market conditions, such as appreciation, rent growth, cap rates, and interest rates. For example, many business plans, and this is one of my pet peeves, many business plans include obtaining short-term financing, usually two years with built-in extensions, and then a refinance into permanent debt debt once the property is stabilized. While the operator can control the renovations and to a certain extent the new rent levels, the operator cannot control the interest rates two years into the future when the planned refinance will take place. This area is my pet peeve because small variations in projected refinance rates can have large variations in the projected returns to the investor. Additionally, if the operator is assuming a five-year hold, the operator will have to make an assumption on the prevailing cap rate five years from purchase. This is called the reversion cap rate and once again completely out of our control. Similarly, when looking at future cash flows, the operator has a certain control over bringing the property up to current market rents as we discussed, but there is no guarantee that rents will increase in the future and the projected rent growth will affect the cash-on-cash returns and the final NOI used to determine the reversionary value using the reversion cap rate. So we've discussed some of the factors in and out of our control. Now let's look at the risk profiles of both. But before we do, let's also look at the risk involved with our data selection. No database is perfect, and most are largely dependent on what owners choose to report. For example, in your research of market rents, the databases will likely use information from listings on the prevalent websites like Apartments.com, Craigslist, or Zillow. But the list price isn't always the same as what's on the actual lease or what is collected. Bottom line, the better our data, the better our projections. And there is some risk involved in the research we do and the data sets we choose. But that aside, let's look at a discussion of the factors that we can control and the risk associated. Now, as mentioned before, bringing a property up to local market rents through a combination of better management and renovations can indeed produce increased cash flows. Now, we now have eight properties that we control, and we've been very successful at bringing low rents up to market levels. We've also been able to add revenue streams by billing tenants for certain utilities that were previously the owner's responsibility. And we were able to accurately project these by looking at the market comps. Now, in the expense column, we've also been successful at lowering certain line items. Most notably, we've cut water consumption in half on one property and by 75% on another, which came from accurate research and accurate projections. Since these items are in our control and be accomplished with relative certainty, the risk on these types of returns is very low. Let's look at some of the risk on the factors outside of our control. 
Once again, we're going to look at that potential refinance a few years down the road, where once again, like I said, a small swing in interest rates can amplify or crush your returns. Now, refinancing a property is very advantageous for a few reasons. Typically, permanent debt has a much lower interest rate than the temporary bridge debt that most operators get on properties like this. So you can actually have a reduction in debt service or at least a reduction in the interest rate on the dollar amount owed. And two, with a successful value add play and a cash out refinance, the operators can return a significant portion of the member capital. Now, these are both very attractive reasons to refinance and frankly, we will refinance our properties if possible. But because of the sensitivity involved, we don't build a refinance into our analysis. Now, here's what can go wrong. If we assume in current rates at refinance, we should note that the rates are currently at historic lows for permanent debt. If we choose a rate in our net analysis that is too low, we will overestimate the amount of capital returned to investors and underestimate the future cost of debt service. When looking at the projected cash-on-cash cash returns after the refinance, this one decision can artificially increase the numerator in our projections with increased cash flow and artificially decrease the denominator, which is the invested capital left in the deal, because of the higher amount returned to investors. In essence, this one small change in input can have a drastic change in output. And thus, operators who choose to be aggressive on this particular variable are exposing their investors to significant risk. For example, I recently saw a property advertised as an investment opportunity that had projected to refinance to return over a million dollars or roughly 60% of the invested capital and actually lower the debt service amount, meaning that the loan amount would increase by over a million dollars, but the monthly payments would still go down. Is that possible? Well, yes. In this case, if they can refinance at lower than 3.5% interest rate in two to three years, it is possible. But what happens to their projected returns if interest rates are at 4 or 5%? Now, another factor that I'll briefly talk about that's completely out of our control is the reversion cap rate. If cap rates continue to compress or go down, real estate prices will go up. And that's good for everyone who invests. But if cap rates stay flat or go up, then what happens? And you can have a similar discussion on projected rents. If an operator is relying on large year-over-year -year rent growth to meet their returns, they may be disappointed if the market isn't quite as rosy as they assume. Now, I think it's natural to include a year-over-year -year rent growth, and we typically use a maximum of 2% year-over-year rent growth because that is the federal target rate for inflation, meaning everything else equal, inflationary pressures will push goods and services up on average 2% per year. So bottom line, here's what I conclude. If you're looking at an investment opportunity and want to understand the risks involved in potentially aggressive underwriting, look to see how much of the projected returns are due to operational improvements or those factors that are in our control, as opposed to the returns due to reversionary factors, which are those that are outside of our control. The greater the percentage of returns from the factor outside of our control, the higher the risk involved. Now, if the market is not as rosy as our projections, Operators that choose to be super aggressive on the factors outside of your control may end up losing money. So where do we lie on this spectrum? We tend to be as realistic as possible on the factors inside our control and more conservative on those outside of our control. And that gives us a higher likelihood of actually hitting the returns that we project. Now, I tend to be an optimist in nature, and I believe the market will continue to go up. But we certainly don't put as much optimism into our numbers. As a matter of fact, some people have called our underwriting doom and gloom. 
but end of the day, I would rather underpromise and overdeliver than the opposite. Now that's it for today's show. Stay tuned because Friday we have another first deal episode that's going to be released, this time with Michael Barnhart and Susie Sevier, both of whom were aspiring investors on previous episodes of this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast today, brought to you by Four Oaks Capital. If you'd like to know more about how to invest in apartment buildings or want to be a guest in our show, visit our website at fouroakscapital.com slash podcast or email us directly. If you're still listening, you obviously like the show, so pull out your phone, tap subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. And we'll see you again next week. Music